obviously, I want to say here, and we probably should have said this at the top of the episode, this will obviously contain spoilers for a show that's almost two decades old. <laughs> Every episode of this is a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> This is You Got to Know. Welcome back to You Got to Know. We have a new guest today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. I'm Jess. I'm a One Tree Hill enthusiast. Finally got me into this just masterpiece of a teen drama. I'm so excited to finally have someone to yell about this show with. It has been so long since I've been able to convince someone to watch this masterpiece. It's just so good. It is the superior teen drama show. Oh my god, it's beautiful. This is this is actually probably the first teen drama since I finished since the seventh heaven finale that i have watched that did not center around rich assholes supernatural phenomenon or superheroes it is just a good old wholesome normal teens making bad decisions show what i like about it is that the the characters are so well designed that most of them are people you know. Oh yeah, and the casting for all the characters that uh, was amazing. Like, okay, yeah, you got Chad Michael Burry there who just looks like an Amber Copy model, but everyone else I was extremely shocked about because I'd say like most of the teen actors just looked like they got together all the prettiest people from several different high schools. Mm-hmm. They still looked believably teen yeah and what i appreciated was it didn't feel contrived there wasn't one person that you were clearly supposed to relate to and then the rest of them are wrong somehow oh my god yeah like okay jumping into this i gotta say lucas love lucas as a character like i i don't i don't like lucas but as a character i am loving this kid he is so fucking normal. Go he literally spends this whole show having a believable teenage arc because he's just a stupid kid. He starts out as probably within the first couple episodes he feels like, you know, he's supposed to be the main character. You're supposed to root for this kid, but he just keeps doing increasingly stupid things to the point where I'm sitting here like if you do one more thing if you do one more thing, I'm going to scream. And then I scream. And yet they're not massively horrible decisions. They're decisions that I think almost anyone could make. They're mistakes that are relatable and believable, especially for the character, mm-hmm. especially for like a 17-year-old dude. God, everything with him and Peyton and Brooke and then Nikki and oh my God. God, like, that's... I knew these people in high school. Yeah! They did these things! <laughs> as a quick, for anyone who hasn't watched One Tree Hill, as we are spouting off, uh, One Tree Hill is literally just... <laughs> I don't think I can even say a full-on plot, because it's it's this character-driven show that is not pushed by one catalyst. It It's just teenagers fucking up and their parents fucking up i mean i think the best way to describe it is to describe the setting a little bit right so it takes place in 
in a little town called Tree Hill, which I think is in the Carolinas somewhere. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea behind the show is the Scott family is incredibly socially important in Tree Hill. And it's the Scott family drama that infects everything else. (laughs) Yeah, because the first episode we are introduced to uh dan scott lucas scott and nathan scott dan scott back in the day he was the man he was the sports star him and karen this uh, wonderful popular girl from high school were like the high school sweethearts of the school and then he got her pregnant and went to college and got another girl pregnant and that's how we get lucas and nathan who are three months apart in age and generally hate each other when we start the show and that's where 90 percent of the conflict for at least the first quarter of the show comes from and i have to say the way that they did the character arcs between nathan and lucas is probably the strongest point of this whole show because we get lucas who's presented as being at least for the first couple of episodes until he starts really digging the hole as the quote-unquote right one he's the underdog he's just doing basketball because he loves it which by the way basketball is a huge deal in one tree hill (laughs) and nathan is the bad boy he's dating peyton who's not like other girls she's edgy she (laughs) She cams. Oh, yeah. She's an artist who cams on the early internet. Because this show's from, like, 2003. So she's automatically deviant. But also, she's best friends with the head cheerleader. She wears leather. Oh, my God. She wears leather. (laughs) She wears skinny jeans. She she paints on her walls. (laughs) Honestly, if I had watched this as a kid, she probably would have been my favorite character. (laughs) Oh yeah, dude. Oh god, and her hair. That that is probably the thing I noticed the most about 2000 shows is there is some really good hair in Peyton's fucking hair. She mwah, gorgeous. I love her so much. Everything about her is so aesthetically pleasing. The greatest sin the show commits is when Peyton straightens her hair. <laughs> god, there were times where like the back of her head would be flat and I'm just sitting here like did did the hair t- apartment not have someone like on hand in case that happened (laughs) you you can see there's like that one straight strand in the back and it's really annoying (laughs) but besides that it's great but also remember that's believable yeah i knew the girls in high school who would curl their hair every morning and miss the back of it because they couldn't see in the mirror and Probably the best thing about Peyton, which this might be the one thing that makes it a little less believable, but in a way that I have to appreciate because she's this punk, edgy girl who's dating the bad boy of the basketball team and they're having sex and going to college parties and she's a cheerleader and she's best friends with the cheer captain who is the biggest I'm just like other girls to ever exist yet they are best friends and they are girlfriends i don't take criticism (laughs) listen the issues 
the social issues that arise in this show would all be amended if Brooke and Peyton and Lucas created a polycule. It really I do would. not accept criticism. Oh my god, it would! Because, okay, Brooke. Beautiful, beautiful Brooke. Brooke is the cheer captain. Brooke is my favorite character. She is so fucking delightful. That ray of sunshine. And then she gets a bad girl arc? Are you kidding me? Because most of the conflict within this season comes actually from everything with Lucas, Peyton, and Brooke. Because the first conflict of the show happens between Nathan, Lucas, and Peyton. Because Peyton, who starts, you know, getting a little friendly with Lucas. And I love how they handled the transition from... Mm-hmm. Nathan versus Lucas over Peyton to Peyton and Lucas versus Brooke. Mm-hmm. Or not Nathan. It's Peyton and wait, crap. My brain just did a big fart. <laughs> <laughs> Imminent collapse. So maybe we should back up a little bit. Because yeah, we're we're just getting excited. Because the original conflict arises when Peyton and Lucas start getting friendly. Then Lucas and Nathan start having issues over Peyton. Then Nate and Peyton break up, and Lucas has made a friend, Haley. Now, do you have a character bio for Haley? Oh, Haley, Haley, Haley. Haley is the quintessential girl next door, except she doesn't have a forced romance with her best friend. She's as Brooke puts it, the smart girl. I do have to say I love how Brooke only addresses her as the smart girl for most of the season. That's kind of adorable. The smart girl. Yeah. And that's literally her. She is the smart girl. She is the school tutor. She runs the tutoring center. She's nerdy. No one really notices her except for Lucas, who's also, you know, one of the socially outcasts. She's a good girl and a square. She doesn't go out. She doesn't get in trouble. She works at the local cafe with Lucas's mom, which I have to say, I love, I love Karen. I love that she has a cafe, but God, I would never go to a place called Karen's Cafe. That just sounds like the manager would want to talk to me about my issues. (laughs) it's a small town what do you want (laughs) i remember watching that episode when when peyton and lucas are about to resolve this tension they've had where they're like i feel things for you you feel things for me i can't tiptoe around this anymore i won't be with nathan i'll be with you and then brooke walks out of lucas's room wearing his hoodie Mm -hmm. oh that is that is like the biggest like gut punch mm-hmm. is to see your best friend wearing your romantic interest hoodie. Oof. And Peyton is so self-sacrificing that she walks away. That is a best friend. They definitely should have talked more about that conflict, but the way that she just decides no. I this is there could be some discussion here, but I don't want to put my best friend through that, especially when she finds out that Brooke is falling in love for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone needs a Peyton. Like, Peyton needs help, but at the same time, everyone needs a Peyton. A ride or die. 
you don't you don't want a friend that's that self-sacrificing but you still want a friend that will be there for you like that god that's probably the cutest thing about their friendship is both of them until extenuating circumstances that are all external they are so ride or die for each other especially with the fact that Peyton is the quintessential not like other girls and Brooke is the other girls then we get some tension between Lucas and Haley because Haley starts tutoring and falling for Nathan. And then we end up learning that Nathan ended up going to her in the first place for tutoring to get under Lucas's skin. And we find that out after they've started dating. <laughs> and after Haley is thoroughly in love with this boy, like she is head over heels. It is a huge conflict for her to find out that Nathan initially went for her just to mess with her best friend. Like, they almost broke up over that. Mm -hmm. Which, okay, the way he phrased it was a real shit move. (laughs) It really is. But I feel like most of what Nathan... That's kind of why he is believable. Most of his mess-ups are because he means so well, but he just doesn't know how to really get it across (laughs) he's always sticking his foot in his mouth Mm -hmm. but i also have to say i do like the fact that even though she is this smart girl she does kind of get a popular girl makeover without having a popular girl makeover the relationship between her and nathan despite everything about it is the most wholesome relationship in this show i would say because of that she ends up seriously coming out of her shell It has the least drama influenced by outside sources. Which leads to them being able to create this foundation where both of them bring out the best in each other. Where Mm -hmm. Haley turns into this bubbly, delightful girl and Nathan starts to come into himself outside of his father's influence. Mm -hmm. As well as getting to the point where he pursues emancipation from his parents because his home life is that toxic. Now, do we want to bring up what is arguably one of the best episodes of the season. Yes. Because, remember, Haley's transformation into a popular girl doesn't start because of Nathan. Oh, yeah. And the relationship between Nathan and Lucas only begins to be repaired in this episode when they're forced to work together. I love that. That is another thing I love about the show is literally there is no, there are outside forces that force Nathan and Lucas to get over their petty squabbling, but also ends up coming down to them just putting aside their differences for each other and for the people around them. Mm -hmm. Would you care to introduce us to the best episode? Yes. So is it what? Episode four? No, it was episode six. Oh yeah. So... The the summary of the episode is, when Whitey throws Lucas and Nathan off the bus due to their misconduct on the basketball court, not only does it leave the two brothers stranded 30 miles from home, but they encounter a carload of punks who threaten them with a gun. Injured during the game, Brooke needs Peyton to drive her home, and in an unlikely turn of events, Peyton asks Haley for help. Meanwhile, Karen and Keith attend a business function and tempers flare when Dan and Deb are seated at their table. 
this episode was this is the episode that made me fall in love with One Tree Hill. So first of all, the pilot is possibly one of the strongest pilots I've ever seen for a teen drama. It really is. It starts off strong and it stays strong. And the pacing is really good for a first season of a teen drama. But Mm -hmm. episode six is where the relationships that last for the rest of the series get their foundation. So good. And it also shows us so much about each character's personality. This is probably the most character-driven episode of it all because it it borders somewhere between like a beach episode and a bottle episode where they're not all stuck in one place, but they are forced out of their comfort zone and put into situations that give interactions and insights that you otherwise wouldn't have gotten while also giving them the levity of not being at home. But it's such a beautiful episode to kind of subvert the trope of the bad girl and the goody two-shoes becoming friends. Mm -hmm. I loved also the ending of that because even though all of the setup of that episode it does follow through with like Nathan and Lucas carry on their experience that with the punks and thinking that we're literally going to die as well as the girls being forced together. It sets up those relationships that pay off later on, but it also the ending of that episode digs at a very realistic experience of high school, which is we had this one weirdly intimate experience outside of school but we're not going to act on it right now. When Monday comes, we're still not going to know each other. We're still not going to be friends. It takes them actually working at it for this setup to result in extremely solid friendships. The other thing that I appreciate is this is one of the first episodes where Scott family drama really starts unfolding. (laughs) Oh, the Scott family drama is just delicious this is the episode where we really get to see how keith and dan interact with each other we know that they don't have a good relationship but this is when we start to see just how bad it is they're just the perfect example of siblings who are never really given a chance because there's i know there's definitely drama that we haven't been shown yet but there is also so much of it that screams pitted against each other since childhood and it shows because those two despise each other on such a fundamental level now here's another thing and this might be something that we actually want to talk about later rather than now but it's interesting to note that keith is the older brother and is not the successful one in the family dan is wait yeah I never actually noticed that. Yeah, they mentioned it a couple of times. Keith is the older brother. Dan's the younger brother. Wow. I completely missed that. Oh. While we're discussing characters real quick, I do have to mention Nikki. (laughs) Because they're... (laughs) Oh, Nikki, Nikki, Nikki. (laughs) There is a subplot within this show around one of Lucas and Nathan's uh, teammates, Jake and his struggles as a teen father because they're all like 17 
um, they're juniors in high school. This whole season takes place within their first semester. And his whole arc is not being ashamed or not necessarily not being ashamed, but not being afraid to just let his daughter exist in one tree or in, I keep wanting to just say one tree hill in tree hill. And he explains it perfectly, which is literally just seeing Lucas and everything Karen went through. He's terrified to take his infant daughter, Jenny around town. No one knows he has a daughter until like halfway through the season almost. Mm -hmm. And it's not until he talks to Lucas when he gets the perspective from him of she's going to feel ashamed and feel like she is a problem the way that Lucas felt growing up if she is sheltered the way that that Jake is sheltering her. Hiding her isn't going to help anything. That's just going to make it worse in the long run, which leads to Jake opening up. Him and Peyton sort of have a thing. She helps him take care of Jenny. And she also helps him when Jenny's mom comes back into the picture. And it should be noted how how much Tree Hill is community focused. Because not only does Peyton step up to act as a babysitter for Jenny, mm-hmm. but Karen gives him a job, gives Jake a job at her cafe. And she also pulls out Lucas's old like crib so that Jenny has a place to stay at the cafe when that he can't get a babysitter because that's a huge issue throughout the show is the fact that it's just Jake and his parents because Nikki walked out after right, Jenny was born. And we are introduced to her after the drama of Peyton and Brooke and Lucas kind of comes to a head. There, There's... It, there's still a lot throughout the whole season, but towards the halfway point, when Nikki joins the crew, Lucas has had a lot of conflict there. He's no longer involved with the girls, and he ends up just hooking up with this random girl at a bar because everyone there has fake IDs. So this 17-year-old goes to a bar, meets a girl, they hook up. He tells her his story with Dan and she shows up on Jake's doorstep saying that she wants to be a part of Jenny's life. Jake does not want her there. Nikki does not care. Nikki wants to be there even though she has proven to be a flighty and irresponsible mother. It should also be noted that Lucas's conversation with Jake regarding how Jenny should be treated and how he should start treating her even though she's less than a year old is such an interesting take on how social stigma can be generational as a trauma. Mm-hmm. That's a huge point this show makes that I love. That's another thing just generally in this show is I love how they deal with that generational trauma and the stigmas around complicated and messy family dynamics. Because this is the first show I have seen handle uh, half-siblings in this way. Most half-sibling conflict I see in a show is like Smallville, where Lionel Luther has a bunch of bastard children who he hides, and they end up coming back to be sources of conflict for an episode or two, or a season or two, or like Supernatural, which... We don't have enough time to unpack all that. 
Whereas this one is not to get super personal. This is one that I can personally relate to because I have a half sister who's two months older than me. And this is probably the only show I've seen where I can point to one of these characters and be like, holy shit, that's just me and my sister. It's extremely accurate to that complicated half-sibling relationship. I also think it's interesting the ways that the Scott family dynamics play out, even with someone that wasn't raised in the, in the quote-unquote Scott household. So Keith and Dan are brothers. Keith is the older brother and runs a car shop, like a mechanic shop, mm-hmm. in Tree Hill. Dan is the younger Scott brother and runs an incredibly lucrative car lot, I would say. Like, it's basically the Lexus dealership. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a high-end car dealer, which says a lot about him as a character, too. But also, he's he's the wealthiest person that we see, but that by no means makes him rich. Like... Oh, yeah. I think that's interesting for this show. Yeah, that's one thing that I ended up noticing towards the end of the show is I realized, like, wait, the the Scots, like, yeah, they have this extremely nice house. They have all of these nice cars. They have a beach house. Incredible social influence. So much. <laughs> oh, my God. They are regularly attending these fundraisers and these dinners, but they are only rich in comparison to their community. They're not like Riverdale level rich kids. They're just middle class. They are an upper middle class almost, but it's still not like Scrooge McDuck levels. They live comfortably, but not lavishly. Exactly. They are, (laughs) they are, that family that's like goes to Disneyland on spring vacation. And so it's interesting to me that with Keith as the older brother and with Lucas being older than Nathan, the same dynamics kind of play out that played out with Keith and Dan. Yeah. That's probably some of the most tight writing in this show is how flawlessly they're able to both reflect and subvert those dynamics that have been set up because starting the show out pretty obvious that they're supposed to be repeating the last generation's mistakes you know they are replaying the struggles of keith and dan but then they end up breaking the cycle together in a way they end up coming together and teaming up together against Dan, first of all. Holy shit. <laughs> but second of all, even though they have broken that cycle together and full-on admit to each other, you know, you're my brother and I love you, they still stick within the cycle that they were in. Mm-hmm. Because in the last episode, first of all, Nathan is repeating his dad's cycle of <laughs> rushing into things and young love because by by the finale, him and Haley elope, <laughs> which I did not see coming. That was that was something else. But also, uh, after Keith gets screwed out of his mechanics shop, he ends up taking a job in I think it was Savannah. And Lucas goes with him. 
Can we just talk about how much I appreciate that it's Karen that gets to name drop the show? Oh, that was beautiful. That was that was the most beautiful moment of the finale. Because <laughs> they just had the most touching discussion. But I got immediately ripped out of it when she said, there's only one tree hill. <laughs> <laughs> that, <laughs> and that's the only time I'm going to be happy about getting ripped so viscerally out of a scene where it's like oh this is so beautiful they're having this nice heart to heart i'm sorry what that that's why it's called this that that's where the show's name came from okay and (laughs) i know that i know the context of that quote i know why she says there's only one tree hill but i think it's interesting to note Mm -hmm. that it means that there can only be one tree hill because the Scots wouldn't have the social influence that they have anywhere else. Uh-huh. This show could not translate anywhere else in America. It could only happen in this fictional world of Tree Hill. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. <laughs> okay, circling back to Nikki, because she is the source of most conflict in the latter half of this season. Once most of the Scott drama is wrapped up. Dan <laughs> is always an antagonistic what, influence. But after a certain point, his drama is only touching the adults because the kids literally tell him, like, we don't care. Uh, so his influence is only on Karen and Deb. But Nikki, after hooking up with Lucas, turning up on Jake's doorstep, and becoming best friends with Brooke who is heartbroken after she finds out that Lucas and Peyton are more into each other than Lucas is into her after she's fallen in love with him. She just absolutely turns on Peyton because of that, which honestly Peyton kind of deserves that. And they do kind of have back and forth on will they, won't they stay friends until Nikki comes into the picture. And Nikki enables the worst in Brooke, which is interesting to watch as Mm. she leans into her party girl going to the bar illegally thing compared to Peyton, whereas they would do that. But Brooke would always drop everything to be there for Peyton and just have fun. That dynamic is extremely interesting to watch play out. And because of that, we end up getting... (laughs) a lot more conflict between Nikki and the boys because Brooke intentionally brings her to parties and events that all the other kids are at. And I'll say this too. Brooke and Peyton are best friends and Peyton is kind of the quote unquote bad girl or kind of more like the goth girl, maybe Mm -hmm. at least in the context of the show. But Peyton herself is always, she's a control freak. She doesn't like getting out of control. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes this theme, and this is a little bit of a spoiler for you, but I've alluded to it several times throughout our conversations as we've been watching this show. It becomes kind of a theme for Brooke that the only time she's ever tempted away from like her friendship and relationship with Peyton is with other people that just like to go balls to the wall, Mm -hmm. that love to overdo it. 
And honestly, I think that's why that whole dynamic is so interesting because Peyton and Brooke are literally made for each other. Everything about them complements each other, but it can also drive them apart if they're not careful. Nikki is kind of that precursor to this is what could happen. And just like a little side note, I kind of screamed when Nikki popped up because she's a former Smallville actress. (laughs) I am pretty sure this was actually the same year she was on Smallville. (laughs) And here's the thing. (laughs) Here's the thing. It's in One Tree Hill. She is playing like this 18, 19 year old teen mom um, who's uh, dubiously trying to make amends. I don't know how... (laughs) How you can really interpret that considering the finale. And aside, before I go in on her appearance in Smallville, uh, by the end, uh, she has essentially threatened legally to take Jenny away from Jake. And because courts usually favor the teen mom or the, well, yeah, the teen mom, but just mom in general in custody battles, Jake decides to run away. And we have that really good moment of, is Brooke going to betray Peyton again? Because Peyton helped him ran away, and she's the only person that knows where he is. And they take advantage of the fact that Nikki just kind of trusts Brooke as her bad girl companion when he runs away to Charleston, I think, with baby. Savannah. Savannah. Oh, yeah, no, it's it's Keith that goes to Charleston. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That's <laughs> um <laughs> he runs away to Savannah with the baby. And Brooke tells her that they're in Seattle, but the entire episode we're led to think she's going to squeal on Peyton and tell her the truth, which that's just, ugh. Because now this is one of Brooke's believable flaws. She wants to impress everybody so badly because she's just like a little bit dumb. I don't think she's actually dumb. I think she really plays that up as part of her, like persona that she puts on for other people i don't think brooke is dumb brooke is a pretty good example of high whiz low int oh god yeah that that's my favorite kind of character honestly which explains a lot because brooke is your favorite character (laughs) yeah i love her it doesn't help that sophia bush is just fucking gorgeous Oh, I was reading some of her tweets the other day, and she's just so funny and cute. And I might be a little bit in love. <laughs> she she might be a little bit of my ideal woman. Sophia Bush is your wife. She just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> oh, I, I'm just going to start going off about this if I don't get back on track, because I'm... Oh. I'm I'm starting to gay panic. Oh my god. You're not gonna see me gay panic until we get to season three, but that's that's a couple of One Tree Hill episodes away. Oh, I'm so excited. Getting back to Nikki, how many times are we gonna get <laughs> sidetracked from Nikki? I'm gonna be honest from what we're presented. I don't think she should get Jenny, um, but she's trying to atone in some ways and also both atone for leaving and be a mother, but also punish Jake for trying to be a good father and keep Jenny away from her. And she is vindictive. She is conniving. She is way too smart, (laughs) but also pretty, pretty dumb 
in certain ways, as we see in the finale. She is just too trusting sometimes. She kind of plays that, except with a lot more (laughs) finesse in Smallville. In Smallville, she plays a 30-year-old doctor who gets involved with Lex Luthor, and they fall in love, and they go to get married, but turns out she's been working with his father behind the scenes, and she's actually a gold digger who tries to murder him and leaves him stranded on a deserted island. Like, (laughs) this woman played the grieving widow so hard. Little do we yet know, she's actually the one who crashed the plane. So, listen, I'm gonna need you to start a second podcast completely. (laughs) Because I need you to watch all the way to the end of One Tree Hill, which goes far past what this this podcast has as its scope. Um, But boy, you're gonna love later seasons with Rachel. (laughs) You say that like I haven't already committed this show into my soul. You cannot rip this from my cold, dead hands. I will go to the grave with One Tree Hill. So great news. This is this is the pilot episode of a new podcast. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, I'm, I'm not arguing. Surprise, this is uh, the backdoor hill. Or the, ba- the backdoor hill. Oh my God. The backdoor pilot. Oh my God. It's infected me. Oh no. It's, oh no. You're welcome. Join me. (laughs) It's so, oh, oh God. But the aesthetic of this whole show, that is probably the thing that hits me the most is just, there are so many shows and I've talked about it in almost every episode so far that they, they scratch the nostalgic itch of the aesthetic I remember of the 2000s, but it's usually like with Birds of Prey, it scratches that itch in the this is the pop culture aesthetic I remember from my childhood. This is, you know, this is what I remember in the magazines and the music videos and the fashion shows. One Tree Hill is just what I remember from day-to-day life. There is so much about this that just reflects that normal 2003 aesthetic. I mean, Brooke's wearing a juicy couture track suits. Are you kidding me? Which I have to say, good on them for not putting her in a pink one, because that would not have looked cute. I love that little brown suede jumpsuit. It is so cute. Also, oh my god, the the soundtrack of this show just just decked me. (laughs) Because the theme song, god, who's the artist's name? Gavin DeGraw. Oh, Gavin DeGraw. So he sings the song, I Don't Want to Be, which I was obsessed with as a kid, first of all. (laughs) <laughs> I I remember having this CD. <laughs> I, I had this little CD that I just listened to on loop, and that that was one of the songs on it that I became obsessed with. So I haven't listened to that since I was like eight or nine. When I started episode two, and the theme song started to play, I was like flat out on the floor. I could not function. I felt. Like, I had gotten sucker punched in the back of the head. <laughs> so that's not quite true. Your version, of a, your version of events is not quite true. You watched the first episode and had no comment to make about it. It was the second episode when you realized that that was actually the theme song and not a bit. 
Yeah, I I straight up didn't notice it in the first episode. (laughs) Which, oh, oh my god. But then, here's the thing, that that would have been enough. Just, it is the opening would have been enough. But then, I forgot, in the back of my head, I forgot about a trope from 2000 shows that it haunts me. Because I always forget about it, and then it happened. I only ever remember it coming in Smallville. Because I have watched Smallville ten times over. But (laughs) there was a trope in 2000s shows, and it's vaguely carried over into the 2010s, where the artist will come onto the show and specifically perform the theme song within the show. I always know it's coming when I watch like Smallville, because it's in the final episode, it's in the prom, it's a big deal. This one, I've already forgotten his name. Something DeGraw, whatever. Gavin. Gavin DeGraw. Gavin DeGraw just shows up at the magazine that Peyton works at. (laughs) He just shows up. He is there. And she's just like, oh my god. Hey, uh, this cafe. And, and... It's not that he's making a cameo appearance as a random musician that suddenly wandered into Tree Hill. Oh, no, no, no. His name is Gavin DeGraw. He's playing himself in the show uh-huh. where they are using this his song Ugh. as the theme song. It's my favorite trope because they, they do that in Smallville, too. <laughs> the actual band comes and plays at their prom because Lex Luthor has that clout. Here, he just shows yeah. up. I just need it. I just need it to be super clear that it's not a typical Mm-mm. cameo Mm-mm. appearance. Nope. <laughs> he is playing himself. And he and Peyton just begs him. She just begs him, like, oh my god, this cafe, they're having an open mic. Would you please, please, please come play? And he says, uh, I'll think about it. And it's very much like an, oh, she just pulled like a fan faux pas. He's not gonna go. No, he shows up. He shows up and he plays with his whole band. (laughs) And I did not know who he was until that moment. I just thought like, oh, cool. They're gonna have a little rock and roll moment for Peyton. Because I had no idea who this man was until he started to sing. And I got sucker punched in the back of the head with nostalgia again. And I, oh God. And here's the thing. That's not the only time they do that in this show. Cheryl Crow just shows up at some point. <laughs> because, because, and this has to be like the most, There, there's so much about this show that I love because it's 2003. It's when, you know, internet became more accessible. It was more normal to just be on the internet. There's an episode where Haley is on eBay trying to get her hands on Cheryl Crow tickets, but keeps getting sniped by other bidders. (laughs) But then Cheryl Crow just shows up at Karen's cafe getting coffee before they go home after the concert. So Haley charges them a song per cup. Now I had to go, I'm on the wiki again, and I had to go and look it up. That is not the only example. Nick Lachey appears in season six. Pete Wentz from Fallout Boy shows up in season three. <laughs> oh my god! Oh no. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just looked down at my notes, and there's two things that I just remembered I've been wanting to bring up, but I kept forgetting. Um, 
I feel very weird about Nathan's nipple ring. <laughs> that, that he's alt, don't you know? Oh my god, that I remember the first time seeing that, and all I could look at was the nipple ring. Like he's just laying there shirtless with Haley. They're just talking. They're having this deep, intimate conversation about having sex for the first time. Which I'm like, great, have these conversations about consent and being ready, but boy why do you have a nipple ring <laughs> boy other thing because the finale the finale of one tree hill is just remarkable we get many great moments probably the one that made me scream the most is keith and deb <laughs> you were real mad about keith and deb <laughs> i wasn't necessarily mad i was just shocked like it, it's been a joke throughout that you know Keith goes for Dan's uh, sloppy seconds because uh, he's in love with Karen. And then him and Deb just kind of sleep together in the final episode. <laughs> Which Dan walks in on. Oh my god! <laughs> the drama of it all. But there's a scene in the very end because for like the last half of this season, Deb is fighting tooth and nail to divorce Dan. And we finally get to the finale as he is about to finally sign the papers. And he has a heart attack. <laughs> and Deb happens to come by because she texted him, you know, call me, please. We need to talk about what happened with Keith. She drops to the floor next to him. It is dramatic. It is beautiful. I am here for it. And he looks up to her and says... You better hope I die. And you know what? I really do. I do have to say one thing. So I was watching Criminal Minds mm -hmm. with your unknowable co-host the other day. And we're in season seven. And oh, no. this actor popped up. And I was like, what is this dude from? <laughs> I swear I just saw him. Did he just show up in another oh, no. Criminal Minds episode? What What's going on? Uh, no, it was Dan Scott, and I was like, no wonder! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So, okay, here's the thing, I had a similar thing happen last week, because, <laughs> because, as of uh, recording this episode, WandaVision mm. is one week over. It has been one week since WandaVision ended. I am still an emotional mess from this. Because of that, I am uh, re-watching a bunch of Marvel stuff. I'm doing a Marvel marathon with my mother. Uh, it's her first time. She's hating it. Uh, we also started watching Agent Carter, which I haven't watched since its first run. I can't watch anymore because Chad Michael Murray's in it. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> Literally, that day, the two of us, you and me, we have been talking. We're like, what is he doing? <laughs> John Michael Murray was everywhere in the 2000s. He was in every single movie we watched. What's he doing? Apparently, he's in Marvel. <laughs> he's Thompson. Amazing. Incredible. <laughs> also, God, I love this show so much. I'm so excited to watch season two. I'm just so excited to watch all of this show. Especially after I found out that it actually takes place in the same universe as one of my favorite 2010 CW dramas, <laughs> Life Unexpected. Yeah, dude! 
Oh my god, I haven't thought about that show in literal years. And then I just happened to look up uh, Haley's wiki page. And for some reason I saw Life Unexpected. I'm sitting there like, I'm sorry, what? What what show? It did spoil a couple things for later in the series. I don't care. (laughs) Just, ugh. I don't think I ever finished Life Unexpected. I think I only ever watched like a handful of episodes, but... I only regularly watched like two or three seasons. I do know how it ends, but that's only because I got nostalgically curious. Mm-hmm. I think the parents didn't end up getting together. They ended up getting into other really cute, wholesome relationships. Mm-hmm. But they were, but they still like resolved their issues and were able to successfully co-parent until the kid graduated co- or not college graduated high school and the finale was her high school graduation where it showed how wholesome their mixed family had become good i'm happy for them right and i think kate uh she was either pregnant or had just had a baby so it was like this very cute thing where oh now she's got you know a younger sibling and showing that like oh just because they had this weird thing going on doesn't mean they can't have a normal happy family together and it it was just wholesome i love how after a certain point we're not even talking about one tree <laughs> but it's all connected <laughs> it is one tree hill just incites these tangents it's delightful <laughs> it's so good oh, oh god i just remembered the baby scare episode oh i just looked down like but there's an episode And this has to be one of my favorite Brooke episodes because it says so much about her as a character and where she is starting to go as a character because this starts in the date auction episode, Mm -hmm. which on principle, I found those episodes weird, but her storyline with Mouth was really cute Mm -hmm. because she ended up not being able to get a boy, but she gets Mouth, who's just a delightful side character. First of all, when she takes him to the strip club, she also gets a lap dance, and I have never seen a straight woman look at another woman like that. <laughs> Brooke is a bi queen. I'm telling you, dude. <laughs> but she ends up realizing in that episode that she has missed her period, and she goes off to mouth about how, you know, yeah, this life seems great. Being a party girl seems awesome, but it has its downsides because she thinks she's pregnant, which leads to probably the most the most emotionally charged moment between Lucas and his mom, between Lucas and Karen. Even more emotionally charged than when he tells her that he's moving with Keith because he's potentially about to go down the same path that she did, which leads to the biggest fight of this show oh my god i do have to say there's a moment when they have both taken a home pregnancy test and then went to the clinic to get a test and they are fighting and lucas straight up what tells brooke how do you know it's my baby you're just a slut Mm -hmm. not in those exact words but that is that is the essence that's of the his statement. spirit of what he said. <laughs> yeah. He called her a slut to her face. And she gets a phone call from the doctor in that moment. And she tells Lucas that he is definitely the father. At that point, it's like record scratch. I'm sitting here like, wait, 
we already have a teen parent in this show. We're about to get a full-on teen pregnancy storyline? <laughs> Until we find out that she lied to Lucas. And we only find out after Lucas comes to her saying that he'll take responsibility and he'll marry her. Because he doesn't want to be Dan. Oh, God, that hurts. <laughs> that whole episode is just the epitome of stupid teenage bullshit, which perfectly summarizes this show. And again, it's all because of the Scott family. Mm-hmm. It is all because of the pressure that Dan has put on Lucas. It is all about the reputation that has been put on Lucas mm -hmm. and the reputation that's been put on Dan. And I've said this to you a couple of times since we've started this show, but it is the quintessential teen drama. Glee, Gilmore Girls, mm -hmm. Riverdale, they all want what One Tree Hill has, yeah. and none of them have done it successfully. And that's purely because, and this was the first thing I really noticed about this show, every single conflict happens because of intentional choice to be terrible. There is no miscommunication. Any miscommunication there is, is usually an intentional one. Most of the conflict, though, comes from people just choosing to be the worst. But not because they are the worst, because they think that's the right thing in the moment. They are impulsive children who make impulsive children mistakes. I do think it's interesting that both Scott brothers get with women who could break them. <laughs> like, that is a male Scott family trait. <laughs> Oh, they do. They have a type. <laughs> All of them are just attracted to women that could crush them and break their spirits. And that was no more apparent than in the episode where we see Dan's parents. And we find out that this whole subplot about Dan's uh, college sports injury that led to him leaving the sport when he could have gone pro and the reason he puts all this pressure on Nathan was a lie his mother told because she didn't like the way his father treated him. And was a lie that Dan was on board with. Oh, I don't care what that man says. I believe his mother over him. Just based on what we've been shown, nuh-uh. He went along with it. He did not try and rehab that. I do not believe that he eventually regretted it and that tried to fix it. I think he was just trying to cover his ass. It is shown time and time again that Dan Scott is an unreliable narrator. I don't trust a single thing that he says. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm just theorizing if he survives that heart attack, which God, I hope he doesn't. Uh, all the ways he's going to try and twist it to pin something onto Deb or something onto Lucas. He's going to point at something and say, that's why I had my heart attack. It, not the fact that he's just a middle-aged guy who's at a higher risk. He's too manipulative to just let it stand, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. At some point, everyone's met a Dan Scott, honestly. Mm -hmm. There is always that one person you meet where no matter what, it's not their fault. No matter what, 
they did the best they could. They did what they thought was in everyone's best interest. It's just like, shut up. And I will say this too. For the most part, I'm pretty tolerant of whatever people want to believe about a show. I don't care. However, if you are a Dan Scott apologist, I do not trust you. There are so many characters where I'm like, yeah, I can see why you would be into this character. I can see how you could interpret this differently, you know, based on different life events that change how you interpret media. But Dan Scott? Uh -uh. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. No. I am known known for being a villain apologist. I get it. I Oh yeah. I simp for villains. But I am a Dan Scott I anti, mean, and I will stand by that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have seen my prolific excusing of Lex Luthor in the group chat. I I understand. I understand the villain simping. But Dan fucking Scott can suck my dick. That man de- belongs six feet under. He gets no sympathy from me. He is exactly, sorry, he is exactly the cis, hetero, white, middle American male that I despise. (laughs) Oh my god, you're so right! (laughs) He is the definition of toxic masculinity. God, I, ugh. Because see, even I could understand why someone would get behind, like, Lionel Luther from Smallville. I don't condone it but i can see it but anyone who gets behind dan scott uh uh-uh okay but can we also like probably the perfect example of why i will never never ever be able to get behind dan scott is the fact that he told lucas to his face that he wishes that karen had gotten an abortion Mm -hmm. Because that happened in the episode with Brooke's pregnancy scare when Dan saw Lucas and Brooke at the family planning clinic. And he confronted him about it and told him that abortion's an option. Which leads to Lucas having this whole meltdown when he realizes that if Dan had just been a little more sympathetic to Karen, if Karen had just been a little less steadfast in the fact that she wanted that baby he would have been aborted and it's like i definitely uh enjoy the fact that they did bring up abortion as a valid thing but at the same time i'm sitting here in shock that the fact that they straight up had a guy say i wish you had been aborted yeah dude oh my god that was just next level that was cold Well, and it's Dan Scott, right? So we're never actually going to know Mm -hmm. if Dan Scott thinks that abortion is a valid option and is, you know, a perfectly Uh acceptable option if you just don't want to be pregnant. There's no, no nothing about it. You don't have to have a health danger. You don't have to have any kind of health issue or any scare or anything. It's just a valid option no matter what your situation is. We're never going to know if Dan Scott actually feels that way because because everything else about him indicates that he is the type of person 
to be anti-abortion unless it benefits him. I could fully believe if we ever got like a prequel series that there would be the dynamic where he would tell Karen to get an abortion and then turn around and beg Deb not to. Oh yeah. He's that asshole. Dan Scott does not support women's reproductive rights. He just wants to have the control over them. He doesn't even support women. Oh my god, the way he talks to most of the women in this show. <laughs> okay, let's let's be fair. Listen, the way he talks to everybody in this show. Yeah, let's be real. He he <laughs> he doesn't even respect other men. He uh, I'm just so tired of Dan Scott. It it just makes me so happy that thinking forward with the fact that there's like what 11 seasons of this 10 seasons of this something like yeah, that there, nine there's I think yeah, nine there's a lot of seasons of this at some point he's gonna leave like at some point it is so realistic that now that I say it I'm now getting scared that he's not going to oh no <laughs> so I have news for you uh huh <laughs> uh by the end of the show you might actually feel like a little bit bad for Dan ah. because he gets what's coming to him oh good like. He gets such a huge Ugh. dose of his own medicine, you might actually feel bad for him, like, a little bit. Uh, there's part of me that wants to ask what happens, but at the same time, I want it to be a surprise so I can have that moment of catharsis <laughs> before potentially feeling a little bad. But at the same time- It's such a big spoiler, I can't give it to you. Okay. I did have a long conversation- with the unknowable co-host who couldn't care less about One Tree Hill, <laughs> where I went off about how much Dan Scott gets his comeuppance uh, because I couldn't talk to you about it because uh, you haven't seen it yet. Can you at least tell me the season? Uh, it's the last season. Oh, God. we get. Uh, I don't know if I can go through eight <laughs> more seasons of Dan Scott. <laughs> that Listen, you can... And it, he gets what's coming. Okay, to him. he get he gets what he deserves. <sighs> I still there's still part of me that's like focusing so hard on let the heart attack kill him that I'm hoping retroactively he will die. <laughs> like I I am hoping so hard. I hope that this hope goes straight back to 2004 and just makes them decide to off him. Just just let him die in the ambulance. Don't even show it. Just mention it when all of the characters are in the hospital waiting room. He does die, just not now. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I'll just have to get there then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just commit to the show and I promise you it won't fail you. <laughs> As if I wasn't going to let this show take over my whole life anyways. <laughs> As if you were tapping out now. Right. <laughs> Because of all the shows I am watching for this, this is the only one so far that I am just so hardcore committed to finishing no matter what. It's so good, dude. <laughs> I'm so excited. Next time on You Got to Know. This is... I, I'm mad at Dark Angel. I'm madder at Dark Angel than I am at Birds of Prey. Because <laughs> at least with Supernatural, I already knew that I liked it. Yep. 
first place I ever heard about that Dark Angel was in a post discussing the origins of ABO. While we're on uh, the topic of martial state, oh, that's a grim transition on my part. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I I just hate that I can't unsee normal's borderline striptease. And the fact that, that he's weirdly <laughs> muscular. Are we going to talk about how weirdly future predicting? Oh this show God. Is? Okay. Because yeah. This is Dark Angel. Thank you so much for joining us on You Got to Know. We've been your hosts. If there's a show you want to see us discuss, let us know at Tied with a Bow on Twitter or at Hellish Rebuke Creative on Instagram. This show is made possible by your support, and that includes sharing us with your friends and family. Subject other people to this. Please consider supporting the show on Patreon. The link will be in the show notes below. Music for the show by Kevin McLeod.